Well, friends, we're going to turn now to read the Word of God in the Old Testament and in the book of Second Kings. Second Kings in chapter 5. And read the whole chapter together. Let us hear the word of God. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favour, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valour but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man sends words to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. 
So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of women to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of women. When I bow myself in the house of women, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, Go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman, the Syrian, in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on the two on two of his servants and they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house and he sent the men away and they departed. He went in and stood before his master and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when a man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. Amen. And we pray God's blessing on that reading of his own holy, inspired and inerrant word. Before we consider some words from this chapter, let's turn once again to sing God's praise, this time from Psalm 51 in the Scottish Psalter. Psalm 51, reading at verse 5 of the psalm. Behold, I in iniquity, this is on page 281. Behold, I in iniquity was formed the womb within. My mother also me conceived in guiltiness and sin. Behold, thou in the inward parts with truth delighted art, and wisdom thou shalt make me know within the hidden part. We'll sing down to the end of the verse, Mark 10, to the praise of God. Behold, I in iniquity was formed the womb within. <clears throat> Behold, I am. 
This evening, let's turn back to the chapter that we read together in 2 Kings chapter 5. Second Kings chapter 5. We're going to consider the first part of this chapter, verses 1 to 14 this evening. But if we were to take a text, perhaps we could take the words of verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Well, friends, I think it's fair for us to say that perhaps all too often we're guilty of judging a book by its cover when it comes to people who we meet each and every day, the way that they present themselves to us, however, however that may be, is often the judgment that we come away with about that person. We look at a person's life and we decide what that person's life is like just by observing on the outside. But friends, all too often we get it wrong. Because as we look at people and as we look at their lives, as we see them, perhaps 
we think that in many ways they have their lives all together, that they have a life that we ourselves envy, yet if the truth be told, they have lives that are full of pain. And you know, so it is tonight with this man, Naaman. All is not as it seems. Who was he? Well, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Syria, who at this point is believed to have been Ben-Hadad II. And essentially who Naaman was, was the second man of power in the nation. He was a man of prominence. He was a man of authority. He was a man who, as our text says, was a, a great man with his master and in high favour. He was a man who was highly respected. And, and because of all of his military victories, this was a man who, who the king esteemed with high regard. And so looking at Naaman from the outside, you would say that he was a man who had it all together. I wonder, can you think of anyone this evening who you look at and you think they have it all together? They've got nothing to worry about. Their lives are carefree. You wish that you had a life just like them. But friends, don't be fooled. Because all is not always as it seems. Because although this was a man of valour, as, as we read here, this was a, an Old Testament term for a, a great warrior or someone who was rich with wealth, because this was a, a man who, who was up there as far as his standing in society was concerned, this was a man who had a secret. And we're going to think about this tonight just under three brief headings. We're going to look at his condition. We're going to look at the concern for his condition. And then lastly, we're going to think about the cure for his condition. The, the condition, the concern, and the cure. Let's look together then at verse 1. In verse 1, we see this man's Condition. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favour, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valour. So far, so good. But, there was a but, but he was a Leper. He was a leper. With all his prominence, with, with all his power, with all that this man appeared to have going for him, and in terms of, of, of being one who was looked up to in his nation, he had a problem. He had a, a big problem. A problem that, that was literally gnawing away, eating away at his skin. A, a problem that, that, if not dealt with, would kill him. Naaman was a great and an honourable man, yes, but he was a leper. 
He was a victim of that, that deadly disease, leprosy, sometimes known nowadays as Hansen's disease, an incurable disease. And we can, we can get a, a clue as to, to the nature of this disease from its title, because the, the word leper in the, the original is lepros. And this is a very descriptive word. I know in Gaelic, when we go back to, 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 to words in Gaelic, perhaps we find that they put more of a descriptive flavour to them than perhaps the, the English translation. And so it is with the, the original languages of the scriptures. Because this, this word lepros, it literally means, and it paints a picture in our mind, it literally means scaly or scabby. It's not a nice picture. Scaly or scabby. And that's what this man of prominence was suffering from, that disease of the skin, that that bacterial infection that was eating away at his flesh to the point where, if not dealt with, it would completely disfigure his whole appearance so that he couldn't be recognised any longer. This man who, looking upon him from the outside, had everything going for him. We read also of Miriam in Numbers 12. 12. She was a leper. And what does it say about her? It says that she was as one dead whose flesh was half consumed. And so sooner or later, this illness that this man had succumbed to, it was going to take its toll. It it had physical implications. There was no hiding from what it was doing to his flesh. But more than that, it had social implications. And we see this in Leviticus 13. We read there, all the days, this is talking about a leper, all the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean. And he shall dwell alone, and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now at this point we might be confused, and we might be wondering, well this doesn't really match the description of Naaman. How is it a secret if it's a disease of the skin that everyone should be able to see? This man Naaman, he's not dwelling outside the camp, he's he's very much in the camp, he's running the camp as it were. So, where does this leave him? Well, in verse 11, if you turn to verse 11, we we read of Naaman talking about the place that the leprosy is. And so at this point, it it indicates that perhaps this leprosy, it's it's confined just to, to one place. Perhaps it's hidden by his uniform. It can't be seen. But still, the fact is that it's there. He knew it was there and and sooner or later everyone else would know that it was there. But until then, until then, it's covered up. Not just by his clothes, but no doubt by by those who are close to him. Who because of his his position would have have seen him as untouchable and, and perhaps even beyond the jurisdiction of the Levitical law of the day. So what does he do? Does he care? Is he bothered? Well, what's interesting here, friends, is this. Because the, 
the first indication of any concern for this man's illness. This brings us to our second point, concern. Any, any indication of any concern, it doesn't appear to come from Naaman himself. But instead this concern comes from the most unlikely of sources. From this one little girl. A young girl who, who was evidence of the fact that, that uh, Naaman was, was not only a leper in terms of his flesh, but he, he was also a leper in terms of his sinful nature. We see this in verse 2, because the Syrians we read there, on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. This was a girl who had been kidnapped. This wasn't just a maid, this was a slave. This was a, a girl who at any point could be sold. She could be given over to someone else. This was a, a girl, a young girl, whose hopes, whose dreams, whose aspirations in life, they'd been shattered. They'd been shattered as she, and swallowed up by the fact that she was now called and demanded to wait upon Mrs. Naaman. How would you expect her to react to Naaman? Well, surely if it was you or I, we'd be bitter. We'd be angry. We'd want nothing but the worst for someone who had ruined their lives in such a way. But that's not what we see. Verse 3. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. She doesn't long for the demise of her master, but for his healing. What a witness. What a witness of this seemingly insignificant little girl. You know, friends, we must never underestimate what we might call a, a simple witness. Because showing kindness and, and concern for the needs of others, it, it can be the most powerful witness of all. And, and what can be even more powerful than that is showing kindness and concern for those in our community that we think do not deserve it. Think about that one person. A neighbour? Someone who everyone in this district, I don't know the people as well as you do, someone in this district that people want to keep clear of, they, they talk about, they gossip about. Do you show kindness to this person? Do you show the kindness to that person that the Lord Jesus Christ has shown to you? It's a challenge. But that is the most powerful witness of all because actions speak louder than words. It's easy to be an armchair theologian, but what about going out there and showing something of the love of Christ to those who do not deserve it? Why? Because you and I don't deserve the love of Christ. What do we read in Proverbs 25? If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will keep coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Isn't that something? 
You know, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I'm quite sure that you have or you have had at some point in your life the, the equivalent of this young girl in your life. Someone who cares for you. Someone who has concern for you. Not just for your physical well-being. That's, of course, something that they will have concern for. But more than that, they have concern for your spiritual well-being. Maybe it's your husband or your wife, your mother, your father, your minister, your elder, a, a neighbour, a, a friend, a colleague, somebody who really cares for you. They want nothing but the best for you. And sometimes, perhaps, if you're being honest, you respond to that care with indifference. They've got concern for you. This little girl had concern for Naaman. But the question tonight is this. Do you have concern for yourself? As that leprosy of sin is consuming your body, do you have concern for yourself? Do you? You've all heard that derogatory negative phrase. So-and-so has got the curum. It's a negative phrase when it's said by unconverted people. I said it myself. It's almost as if somebody who has the curum has caught a, a deadly disease. And whatever you do, you don't want to get the curum. But what does it mean? Well, the word curum literally means concern. And so someone who has got the curum, as it were, is someone who has concern for their soul. And someone who has concern for their soul is someone who does something about that concern for their soul by coming to the person who can deal with their soul. The Lord Jesus Christ. Do you tonight, friends, have a concern for your soul? You may have concerns for many things. You might have concerns for the economic state of our nation. You might have concerns for your family. You might have concerns for X, Y and Z. But here in Shawbos Free Church on the 30th of October 2022, do you have concern for your soul? And if not, friend, why not? What is it in your life that's more important? What is it that's taking prominence in your heart? And we say this not only to the non-Christian, but also to the Christian. What's most important to you as part of this dear congregation in your vision to share the good news of the gospel with this district? What is of greatest concern to you? Is it the secondary issues? Is it the tittle-tattle of the day? Or is it the fact that men and women, boys and girls around you here in Shabbos are going to a lost eternity? And that no matter what else, your desire and your concern is to see them saved and you will do whatever it takes to get them under the word of God. Concern leads to action. And that's what we see here tonight because astonishingly, Naaman is roused in his interest. And, you know, this is a real lesson to us. Perhaps, of course, he's getting to the end of his tether. We don't know. But, but he's, he's, he's aroused in his interest. And he, he says, well, maybe this girl's onto something. 
And the lesson that we see here is this, that we can never ever make assumptions. This girl was brave. This girl was brave in making the suggestion to, to our master. And you know, sometimes we ourselves, we need to be brave. We make assumptions as to the response that people will give to us if we share the, the good news of the gospel with them. Of course, there's a way of doing that. We don't do it from our ivory tower looking down. We come alongside them in the spirit of Christ. Come see a man who told me all things that ever I did. This is not the Christ. That's what we do. And so we must never ever think, well, that person certainly doesn't want to be saved. Or, or the gospel's not for that person. They don't understand their culture. Or, or definitely for the, not for that person. Just look at their lifestyle. Never ever make such assumptions. Because that, friends, is just the voice of the evil one who seeks to stop us in our tracks from taking the good news to sinners who are in need. Naaman's interested. And as he's interested, this interest leads him to take action. He goes uh, to the king, he tells the king, and then the king, for whatever reason, decides to send him to the king of Israel. Maybe he's not wanting to deal with this himself, but he, he goes to the king of Israel to, to find out if he can be cured. Verse 5. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. So he takes action. But as we see this action, friend, we also see something else. We also see the window into the heart of man and woman by nature, into your heart and mine, what we're like. Because this little girl had said absolutely nothing about money. She didn't advise that her, her master should be loaded with cash in order for him to be cleansed. She didn't say that. Why? Because the healing was for free. Yet that was the mindset of Naaman. Surely I can buy my healing. Surely if I give enough money, I can get all the treatment that I need. And I wonder, friend, I wonder if tonight, here in this church, the spirit of Naaman is alive. I know it is, generally speaking, very much so alive. That, that spirit that might not be a conscious awareness of it, but nonetheless it's there, that, that idea that somehow we can get right with God in terms of what we ourselves give to God. That maybe if we attend to our religious duties enough, if we dot our I's, if we cross our T's, if we read our Bible morning and the evening, if we pray for a certain length of time, if we come out on a month, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, even a Wednesday, if we take all these boxes, God will be pleased with us. And these are good things. Keep doing them, please. Keep doing them. 
The means of grace is, of course, where grace will be found. But still, they're not enough. They're not enough. And when we think about all that we do, we might question, well, surely a God of mercy and of love cannot send someone like me who's trying their very best to a lost eternity. Surely God won't do that. I'm trying my best. And that, dear friend, is perhaps your biggest problem. You're trying your best. You're trying your best. Why is that your problem? Why is the minister tonight saying that that's your problem? You're trying your best. Surely that's a good thing. Well, friends, adopting this mindset is to, in a very real way, tear apart any need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wonder, do we truly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because when we think we're trying our best and that's perhaps good enough and if we keep trying our best, God will be pleased with us, what we're showing is that we have that pride of heart that that refuses just to accept the simplicity of the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We're called to come as we are. Come as we are. We don't have time for footeralls being added on, presenting ourselves in a certain way, and then God will be happy, the church will be happy with us as long as we present ourselves in a way for all to see that we're holy. That's all rubbish, friends. That's all from the pit of hell. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ and none other the blood of our Saviour that will cleanse you from your sin. And when you lay hold of that by faith and me with you, it is so liberating. It releases us from that bondage of thinking that we ourselves need to carry favour with God by our own righteousnesses. What does scripture say about our own righteousness? They're as filthy rags. And again, in the original, this is a, a very vivid picture. It's not a very nice picture. These filthy rags are actually referring to to women's soiled garments. These are not my words. These are the words of Scripture. And so what we're seeing here is just the, the nature of what it is that we ourselves seek to bring to the table by nature. Are you doing that, friend, tonight? Have you been doing that all your life? You want to know God. And you're trying hard to know God and you just cannot know God. No matter what you do, you just don't know him. Stop the doing and start the believing. When the king of Israel reads the letter, he he thinks that this is some kind of political move, some kind of provocation to war and so he cries out in verse 7 he cries out when the king of Israel read the letter he tore his clothes and said 
Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. The king of Israel, he wants nothing to do with this. He, he's suspicious. He, he thinks that, that this is a move to provoke war. And before long, his, his reaction, it, it spreads to the ears of the prophet Elisha. And the prophet of Elisha, he, he goes and he tells the king of Israel to send Naaman to him. Okay, you don't want to deal with him, but you send Naaman to me. And so that's exactly what happens. This man of power, of position, of prestige, he comes he pulls up outside, no doubt, the humble abode of Elisha, the prophet. With all his entourage, he comes to this man, waiting for his cure. But as he waits there, waiting for an audience with Elisha, the prophet, he, he doesn't quite get what he bargained for. Verses 9 and 10 so Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Naaman is furious. Verse 11, But Naaman was angry. And went away saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. In other words, why have you sent this servant out to me? How dare you? Don't you know who I am? Could, could you not have come out yourself and, and waved your hand over the leprosy so, so that I would be clean? Could you not have done this? And besides, dipping seven times in the Jordan, the filthy, dirty Jordan, really are you serious? If, if you'd said the Abner or the Fadfer, perhaps, but the Jordan? This is just outrageous. And so, so off he goes, Naaman. His pride, his, his arrogance being shown all the more. Why? Because this was not the solution he'd expected. The cure that he was being asked to avail himself with made absolutely no sense to him. And so it is, friends, often with us. We struggle with the cure for our sin. I've just spoken about the fact that you know, we can try and work really hard to be right with God. And I suppose in our psyche, the way we are in our culture, if, if we work hard, we get a return. And so we can see why we might think that. But that's why the gospel is so counter-cultural. And so we might struggle with that. We might struggle with the simplicity of the gospel. It just doesn't make sense. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I will be saved. Do I not have to do this, this and the next thing first of all? How many people have said to me, even in my own community, well I'd like to come to church but I have to clean up my act first. That's not the gospel. 
You come to church, you come under the word and you let the Lord deal with everything else. Do you struggle tonight with the simplicity of the gospel? Well, scripture speaks about this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For Naaman dipping seven times in the Jordan, it was foolishness. Yet it was what God has asked him to do. There were other rivers, yes, that he he thought he could be dipped in and be be cleansed. And and in a very real way, that's the way we are in this world. We try and um, perhaps get fulfillment and satisfaction in, in the other rivers of this world. We all know what they are. They vary from person to person. We're looking for fulfillment, perhaps in our family or our occupation or our standing in community. Whatever it is, we're looking for fulfillment. And when we see that river of God's mercy and grace, we say, no, that's not for me. That's not for me. Seven times. Seven. Why seven times? Well, these passages are interesting. We, there's always a danger with passages like this, and we, we come to detail like this, and we, we want to impose on the narrative what God Himself has not intended. We say, well, seven times could mean this, this, and the next thing, and we, we come up with seven things that it could mean, and we, we over spiritualize, and we. We add to scripture what God has not added himself. We must be careful about that. We are to rightly divide the word of God. We're not uh, called to, to make it mean whatever we want it to mean. Why seven times? Well, it's quite simple. The, the, the passage it tells us why seven times. So that the word of God would be fulfilled. That's why Leviticus 14 speaks about the fact that uh, the number seven is shown repeatedly regarding the cleansing of a leper. And so Naaman's healing would be quite simply a means of fulfilling the word of God. That's why it's seven times, so that God's word could be fulfilled. And that's the point. That is the point. That's what we come back to time and time again. The word of God being fulfilled. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't the water that was going to heal Naaman. Otherwise, the, the Jordan would, would be bursting with lepers all seeking to be cleansed. They'd all be making their way on pilgrimages to the Jordan so that they all could be cleansed. It, it wasn't the water that was going to cleanse them. It was something far deeper. It was the power of the word of God himself. That's what was going to cleanse him. And that's what will cleanse you and me with you. Nothing but the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is This is God's special revelation to us. 
Isn't that something? When you think about God, infinite, eternal and unchangeable, a God who, who in many ways we cannot know, and how does he choose to reveal himself to us? Through words. Words that we can understand. That's him accommodating us, our weakness, our frailty, in his love and in his mercy. It's his word that's going to change your life. That's why your minister and those who love you desire that you come to, to church, not just out of routine or ritual. Although it's good to have the routine, it keeps you going. But that's where God meets with you, by his spirit in his word. And of course, we don't have to be in church to be in his word. We can read it at home. It changes lives. Be in it as often as you can. Come to his word and he will speak to you. And of course, that's what would happen with Naaman if only he would accept it. He doesn't accept it. But that is, of course, until his servants push things a, a little further. They were brave, were they not? Perhaps they, they knew in their hearts there was just something in Elisha's counsel that was true. They could see their, their master suffering, perhaps discreetly, but nonetheless they could see that this was taking its toll on them. And they knew, maybe, just maybe, what Elisha is saying is true. Verse 13, But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean. In other words, just try it. You've got absolutely nothing to lose. No one's going to see you. Just try it. Give it, give it a shot. You just never know. You, you've come this far. You, you might as well just go that little bit further. Dip yourself in the Jordan. And so finally he does. Time is gone. Finally he does. He's come essentially to an end of himself, an end of his own resources, an end of trying to buy that cure for it. He's got nowhere else to turn. He's got nothing else to do but just to believe in what he's being told. And so he goes, he humbles himself, and that's, friends, what it all comes down to. Humility. I was preaching this morning in Gravel about uh, the gods in our own hearts that keep us from the Lord Jesus Christ. The rich young ruler, he appeared to be one who was seeking the Lord. He appeared to be one who was seriously seeking the Lord. But yet when all was stripped away and the Lord revealed that he was laying hold of his possessions more than anything else in this world, he wasn't willing to let them go. That was the God of his life. And what I was saying there is that perhaps, yes, that is the God of many people's lives, but I believe the God of most people's life, the stumbling block between us and coming and dipping in the Jordan, 
as the God of self, we will not humble ourselves. Why? There are many reasons. One, and I guarantee you, this is one reason that affects all of us. Fear of man. What will he or she say? How will my friends react? How will my husband or my wife react? Fear of man. And fear of man is a snail, which means it's a trap. It keeps us in that place so we can't move. And so we have, we have the, the opinions of men and women dictating our eternal destiny. Will people talk if you dip in the Jordan? If you come to Christ, perhaps they will. If you get the Kurim as it were, maybe they will for five minutes and then they'll be on to something else. But it's worth it. Let me guarantee you there is nothing more worthwhile than coming and being transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ. He goes once, twice, three times, dipping himself in this, this filthy river Jordan five, six, seven times. Until after the seventh time, we read in verse 14, he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. He was clean. His life was transformed. The leprosy that had, had so much dominion, or was going to have so much dominion over him, it was no more. And this was a, a childlike restoration. His, his skin was, was healthy and, and smooth and soft, just like a child. What a difference to how he had been before. And what, friend, are we reminded of here? Do we not see here such a, a vivid picture of, of what happens to you and to me when we are cleansed? Cleansed by the precious blood of the Lamb. That picture of being born again of the Spirit. That, that picture, as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5, of, of being a new creation. And that's what we are. Not that we look different. We're still ourselves, we still have our personalities. But nonetheless, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Why? Because our identity is not in the things of this world, but rather in the creator of this world. And there is a word there is an eternity of difference between the two. But it doesn't end there. I'm aware that time is going doesn't end there because what we see happen, happening to him externally also happens to him internally. We might say, well, what about this man's soul? Well, there's evidence here, is there not, that, that Naaman has also been spiritually born again. That as well as being washed in the Jordan seven times, that, that he's also been washed in the water of regeneration. How do we know this? Well, well, what do we see? Let's look at the clues. The first clue is this, that he, he turns from idols to the living God. He, he acknowledges 
the part of the God, capital G, the God of Israel in all of this. Verse 15. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him and he said, Behold, I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. What a change of heart. What humility. Not only does he want to worship God, but more than that, he wants forgiveness from God. Verse 18. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Rimen to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimen. When I bow myself in the house of Rimen, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. That's what it is, friend, to come to the Lord. All these things that we listed, these religious duties are good. Keep at them. But essentially more than that, what do we need? We need to submit. To submit our hearts before the Lord. To submit our will before the Lord. To submit our lives before the Lord. What does that result in? Well, we see in the words of Elisha, go in peace. Go in peace. Are you living a life of peace at the minute? In your soul, I mean. Christian life is not promised to be easy in terms of the difficulties we have. It's full of difficulties, no doubt. It will be till our dying day. But do we negotiate our way through these difficulties with that deep-seated peace in our soul? So that no matter what else we lose in this world, no matter what else is uncertain in our lives, we have Christ, the peace of God that the scripture says passes knowledge. It's not even mine to articulate with God, with, with words rather, but it is yours to find for yourself. Go in peace have you gone in peace friend and if not why not allow me to ask you essentially what the servants asked Naaman what have you got to lose you make a list in your mind tonight what have you got to lose if I come to Christ what have I got to lose it might seem ridiculous. It might seem too simple. It could answer, the answer to your place in this world and in the world to come, it is simple because it's found in the sacrificial Lamb of God. And all you have to do is believe in Him. And so to quote the hymn writer, beautiful words, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. It's not the Jordan we're asked to go under. And sinners plunged beneath that flood will lose all their guilty stains. That's what you and I need to do. That our guilty stains would be cleansed 
in the precious blood of Christ, that we would be released, that you, unconverted friend, would be released from the bondage of your sin, that you would lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ as your own Saviour. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is not promised. I don't know what you're thinking about here tonight. You're maybe planning your week ahead, as I did myself before I was a Christian. You might not be here tomorrow. We've seen that, all of us. Today is the day of salvation. And so can I plead with you, dear friends, many of you I do not know, but yet I plead with you, don't leave it too late. Come, come and dip yourself in the Jordan. Allow yourself to be submerged in the love of God in Christ. And you will be clean. You will be whiter in the eyes of God, whiter than the snow in Christ. Let us pray. We bless and we thank you, O Lord, for the good news of the gospel, that you have not left us to ourselves. How things could be so different. We know that if we were to receive a just reward, that None of us would stand. But yet tonight, you are a God of grace and of mercy and of love. And you have spoken to us afresh this evening through your word. And you have shown us the way of salvation. We pray then that your Holy Spirit might truly be pleased to apply this word to the souls of each and every man and woman here this evening who are out with Christ, that they would come and that they would find themselves in that place where they cannot but cast themselves upon you, for you care for us. Part us then with your blessing and forgive us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to conclude our time of worship singing... To God's praise from Psalm 103 and sing Psalm, Psalm 103, reading at the beginning of the Psalm. This is on page 135. Praise God, my soul, with all my heart. That's what it is, it's a matter of the heart. With all my heart, let me exalt his holy name. Forget not all his benefits. His praise my soul in song proclaim. The Lord forgives you all your sins and heals your sickness and distress. Your life he rescues from the grave and crowns you with, in rather, his tenderness. We'll sing down to the end of the verse, Mark 11. To the praise of God, praise God my soul with all my heart. Praise God my soul with all my heart. Let me exalt His holy name. Forget not
Rest on and abide with you now and forevermore.